The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues, Ocean River Shields of Achilles, with your host, Dr. Rob Moyer. Find out what others are doing and what you can do to create a greener and blue planet Earth. Now, here's Dr. Rob Moyer. Welcome. Today, we're talking about ocean noise and Capitol Hill Ocean Day. I'm I'm here at the National Geographic building in Washington, and we're sitting out on the sidewalk, and there's a church bell ringing in the background, and my guest today is Margaret Cooney, and Margaret is the U.S. Marine Campaign Lead for the International Fund for Animal Welfare. Hello, Margaret. Hi, Ron. Thanks for having me. Um, So we're kind of exhausted because yesterday running around (laughs) Capitol Hill, we started at 8 in the morning, and we saw people until 6, and then it kept going on. And now we've just heard a, a very compelling talks by the um, Admiral of the Coast Guard and Prince Albert of Monaco and uh, Enrique Sala, who is the National Geographic Ecologist, Marine Ecologist, and Sylvia Herodicus has inspired us all through it all. But... Um, why don't we start with, um, Margaret, how did you uh, get into marine ocean conservation? Well, it was a convoluted course. Um, I actually started off as a firefighter in Northern California. It was a phenomenal experience. I uh, was the first uh, female firefighter in our district, and I had uh, wonderful support from the, my fellow firefighters, from my family. And um, if it wasn't for an injury, I might still be doing that to this day. Margaret, you might have to repeat that whole sentence about <laughs> those ambulances. <laughs> it was basically saying I was a firefighter. It was fabulous. I really enjoyed it. Um, it was very impactful. You, you have an immediate, uh, you have the, the knowledge that you have an immediate impact on somebody's life. And were it not for an injury, um, I might still be uh, on that path today. That is spectacular, because I've been talking about firefighters in terms of fishing. See, this is my solution for the fishing problem, is that when there is smoke, you want highly trained, well-equipped firefighters to take care of the fire. And when there's an abundance of fish, we deserve to have highly trained, well-equipped fishermen. And so we've got to figure out the economics, because it isn't right to expect the the sale of the fish to, you know, just like the, the burning of the fire to pay for the firemen, we need to figure out some ways to make that so. So how do you... 
because both large ships go slow, and we call it slow steaming. And um, we, it, it's just a great thing from a couple of different levels. As a whale campaigner, it, it's quieter the slower you go. Um, you have fewer carbon emissions into the atmosphere, and also um, it helps uh, with whale ship strikes. When large whales get hit by ships. Uh, they they don't tend to do very well. It tends to crush their internal organs, and you can't really bounce back from that. But the slower the ship is going, um, the more likely the whale is to swim away, um, maybe with a few bruises, but they're going to at least live another day, so to speak. Um, think of it like um, uh, speed zones in uh, school areas, you know, elementary school areas. Most people think it's just because slow, if you go slow enough, you can avoid the kids, which is, which is true, but it's also an aspect of if you kick the kid, um, you, the kid will probably survive if you're going slow enough. And that's the same thing here with the whales and the ships. There's a road in New Hampshire where the speed limit is 50 miles an hour. It's a windy road, and you can drive at 60. But if a moose steps out... <laughs> and you're going over 50, you can't that. stop in time. Right. And if you're going under 50, you can hit the brakes hard enough. Yeah. But I, I love the solution that is very simple that you're talking about, which is bigger ships, and so that's fewer ships yes. and slower ships. Yes. And the Coast Guard admirals today was saying that they now are building ships that can carry 18,000 containers. Yeah. So that's like that's a number of trains of containers. Yeah. So one way to lessen our carbon footprint is to use ocean transport of really big ships yep. that, um, and hopefully they're quiet. So yeah. apparently there's been some new technology and there's pretty good stuff about... Well, yeah, that. I mean, the great thing about um, uh, the military is that they have a lot of funding and they do a lot of research and one of the things that they want to do with their ships is they want to be stealthy and they want to be quiet. Yeah. And um, the wonderful thing is that they tend to pass along that knowledge to the general industry so that it can benefit wow. all of us. And we are starting to see more and more um, technologies to deal with propeller cavitation uh, to try and just make everything a little bit quieter. Of course, it's new. It costs money. So you just have to figure out how to incentivize the shipbuilders, the shipping companies who are, who are contracting for the ships to be built to just use the, the, the best practices available. Uh, and a lot of the shipping companies are very receptive to this. Uh, they're very interested. You you go sit at the table with them, and the first thing you say is, look, we all love whales. Everybody loves whales, except for a very small minority, but we won't talk about them. Yeah. Um, and and you start at that that point, and and then you work you figure out where you can you can go from there. What's your common ground above that? And we we don't want them to lose money, but we do want them to pollute less, whether in form of carbon footprint or ocean noise. And we also don't want them to kill whales, and neither do they. They don't want to either. So we're trying to work together um, to to the betterment of the ocean environment and whales. Yeah, we found that with shipping companies around Boston, where um, they did not want to come into Boston Harbor with a right whale draped over the bow <laughs> no, and not the yard. And they were very receptive to um, putting out these buoys that would record the sounds of the ocean and wire it into Cornell University where a computer could sort out which is a whale call and what kind of whale was calling and send it back to the buoy to say that there's a right whale in the area 
and on the map, oh, damn. all the ships, it, they bought these, what I call Marauder's Maps, because it showed where the whales were, uh, and yeah, so it would flash red, and it's like, they would, and they would voluntarily slow down, because, yeah. Yeah, and um, I saw ISAW, excuse me, was um, a big part of that. We, That's right, you're on Cape Cod. <laughs> yeah, our yeah. headquarters is out in Cape Cod, I'm here in our D.C. office, but... Uh, we have uh, the right whales in our, our in our backyard and care deeply about them, and uh, we lobby hard to get some sort of ship speed regime put in place here on the east coast that will protect them. Uh, and uh, ISAW, many other groups, and the federal government and the shippers, we were able to sit down and come up with what is known as the. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna mess this up. Um, it's I think called the final rule to reduce the threat of ship collisions with North Atlantic right well. Shorthand is the ship speed rule, and this is uh, came into to being in about 2008, and it really um, puts all these protections in place all along the eastern seaboard whenever the right whales are present. Um, it just it helps the ships slow down and and really helps to protect the whales, especially the mother cat pairs, because they tend to be on the surface more often than any others, and uh, those are the ones who are the most greatly impacted. But IFAW, um, to help the shippers understand the ship speed rule and follow, and follow the, um, the regulations that were in place, we created what is known as the Whale Alert app. And you can download it. Go to whalealert.org, or you can go to the Apple um, Store, App Store, um, as Small little plug, we're going to have it out on Android next month oh, so great. Android users can do it. Um, and it has all of the nautical charts. It has the ports data. It has all of the little bubbles that pop up when right whales are present in the area, in the Boston Harbor area, and then also when the ship speed regulations are in place um, along the eastern seaboard. They're, they're seasonal, so they're not there year-round. Right. So that the whales aren't there year round. Because right. whales aren't there year round, and there's no reason why the shippers can't go faster at those times. Uh, we've expanded out to the West Coast so that. Well, wait, wait, let's oh, stay with the right whales coming here. <laughs> okay. I got biases here. So the good news was you said the eastern seaboard. So as yes. you were saying, the right whales are in Cape Cod Bay in the spring and summer. Yeah. But they winter off of St. Augustine and Florida, northern Florida and, and Georgia. And they're having grounds in Georgia. That's yeah, right. So you're slowing boats down down there, too. Yes, exactly. Exactly. But it's, like you said, at the right times of year, when the whales are present. And, um, and, and let me add on that. Then. Yes. So Brian and I got to bring a sailboat up to Buzzards Bay a couple of weekends right. ago. And as we're going through the Cape Cod Canal, they were saying every 40 minutes on the canal, they were saying... Beware, there's right whales right by the mouth of the canal. Yeah. And sure, and, and Ryan had checked what you, what you call the app. You know, uh, whale Alert app. Yeah, I call or it whalealert.org. Whalealert.org. So Ryan had been online and seen that they were all over the place. Yeah. And so sure enough, you know, about three miles out of the um, canal, we were going easterly along the Ford Barnstable. Yeah. And right there on Sagamore Beach, six right whales. <laughs> You know, that must have been spectacular. it was so spectacular, um, mostly in the distance, but they lift their tails up, you know, and um, you can see this clean triangle of a tail. It wasn't the mustachio tail yeah. of the humpbacks, you know. It was a clean triangle. And they just kind of lope on the surface, unlike the wheeling whales, but the other ones are all kind of a wheeling motion. Uh, and one of the whales was um, pacing. We were sailing west at about, or east at about three knots, and there wasn't wind. At Cape Cod Bay, you know, 
and uh, the whale was going about the same speed uh, off on the left. And he was kind of pacing us a little ahead, and then he turned perpendicular and started swimming as if on a collision course with the way the boat was going. So I headed the boat off to the right so we wouldn't meet. He turned and came right at us, yeah. so I could see his big upper lips going down <laughs> and his two side lips like barn doors up against his face there and stuff, his bottom lip. And um, for the belt. <laughs> um, and the whale dove underwater yeah. and turned beside the boat. I think he was eyeing us because then he came up and just swam off to the left again. But to be eyeballed by a right whale, we weren't going fast enough to worry about collisions and stuff. But, uh, well, yeah, you guys were, your boat is small enough that um, even if you guys bumped into each other, actually the whale would probably win in that case. So. <laughs> No, it's a wooden boat, so we're, okay. we're pretty, pretty sturdy boats. Okay. But um, I would not want to bump into the, the no, sandbar no. of a whale or something. No, that wouldn't be fun. Uh, so um, well, we're talking about uh, noise in the ocean. Yes, yes. And, and, and so one of the, the big sources is in shipping boats. Yes, but the and shipping industry other, is, doing, yeah. like I said, they're just doing a great job working with us uh, to try and remedy the situation. The, um, the other group that... Uh, most people hear about is Navy sonar, and active sonar has admits at a frequency that uh, is not very comfortable to marine uh, cetaceans, whales and dolphins and porpoises, um, smaller smaller whales in particular, and uh, it's it's kind of a it's how to explain this. The Navy is not the bad guy. And we go into the conversation like that. We go to time. We know you're not the bad guy. I personally have met many submariners in my lifetime, the biggest whale fans. They start talking about whales and they start crying. They get tears in their eyes. They are underwater for four months on those submarines. Only other companions they have besides each other are the whales. And they, they hear the song. they hear the, the songs. The they love them. Like in the movie Jaws where you hear the <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I hadn't thought of it like that, for sure. Um, so... Basically, when you're talking about an active sonar with the Navy, uh, they uh, use it as an offensive weapon. As soon as they use it, it lets the whoever is listening know where they are. So they don't want to use it as, as much as, as they can help it. And um, we're just trying to encourage them to, uh, if they're going to do training, to do them out of particularly sensitive areas or at times of year when whales aren't present. Um, so what are they doing? Uh, what is this? this uh, oh, 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 you mean how does it affect the whale? No, no. Oh. What is the Navy doing? They're not just oh. steaming around listening to whales. No, they're, they're not. They're making a big noise or something. Well, well so sonar, I, um, I am it's not... It's not their regular sonar, just for right. okay, other boats. It, it is, actually. It's a, oh. a lot of it um, just... Uh, when you're talking about active sonar, it's sending out a particular frequency uh, that will bounce back, and you can measure it, and you can find right. out where things are. So uh, at this particular frequency, it's very uncomfortable for the whales. Uh, a lot of times it scares them, uh, particularly deep diving whales. Uh, they will either feed down deep, hear the sonar, and come up very quickly, getting the bends, just like, an, oh uh, just like a so human would. Is this sonar coming out of, um, what's what sonar means? It's yeah. ground navigation and ranging. Yes. Yeah. But is this just the submarines, or all Navy boats have wicked loud sonar? Um, I, as far as I know, and I, I am no expert, but I believe all um, Navy boats, even the surface boats, have sure. capabilities. Because they want to communicate well and yeah. know each other. Exactly. Is. 
So, um, yeah, what we're doing when we talk to the Navy is we, it's the same conversation. First thing you say when you sit down, we all love whales. You guys love whales. We do, too. How can we help them? What can we do together to help them? Well, some of the things the Navy can do is what we call primary closures. So don't test here at particular times of year or at all, ever. Um, just go somewhere else. Or um, one of the things that we really like to encourage... Oh, wait, so like the, the right whales when they're breeding off... off. St. Augustine. Right. Don't, don't say, test this the is the furthest period right now. It's a little quiet now. Yeah, it's a quiet area, please. Exactly. Or in, in the chow down time up on Chuck right. Wagon Bank, you know. Exactly. That's yeah. Exactly. So there, there, like we, like we say, I'm a parent. There's a time and a place for everything, and and we just need to make sure we know when those times and places are, and that the Navy knows them. That's and, one thing. Can they tone it down? Can they... Not in the a particular they... active sonar that they're using. Oh. It's not really... They have passive sonar capabilities, and, and that's less invasive, um, and it's good that they use it. But the active sonar is... Uh, yeah, you really can't tone that down. Wow. But you can use it sparingly, right. and you can use it in not sensitive areas. And you can also, instead of training all of your technicians and live trainings out on the open waters, you can do what the Air Force does constantly, which is do simulation. You can, they, Air Force trains as pilots using simulations, and then they put them, they, hours upon hours, these pilots sit in these simulations, and then they're put behind the cockpit of a plane. And hopefully they've retained. <laughs> oh, they do. I mean, and they do. They don't because they don't, you exactly, know. exactly. <laughs> so it's just very, simulations are very, very successful in training. Wow. And so what we're trying to do is encourage a culture shift at the Navy so that the higher ups are more inclined to use simulation training for their technicians on how to use sonar, how to listen for it, what, like, just what it's going to look like in a real life situation and save the active sonar for real life situations right. but not for the testing. Um, so that that's what we're trying to trying to do with the Navy. Excellent, excellent. I'm I'm talking with Margaret Cooney and we're gonna take a short break and we're gonna come back and talk more about how we can make the ocean be a quieter place <laughs> for all life. For all life. Thanks. We'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, 
VoiceAmerica.com. listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, we're back with Margaret Cooney, and we're sitting at the National Geographic building on the corner of, like, 17th and M or something, or, yeah, I guess that's about it, and um, we're talking about sound in the ocean, and at times, they have a hard time talking at all because we have an ambulance going by, and we've got uh, a church bell that rings on the quarter hour, it turns out. Um, is this like what it's for the animals under the water? Is it like for them? Or? Um, uh, probably a lot more intense and frequent, constant, constant noise, a cacophony, if you will. Um, as Rob and I are sitting here, and it really is, you hear the sounds of the city, and a lot of it's background noise, and you can and you cope with it as everyday life noise, but then you get the really intense stuff like the ambulance or the church bell. Um, and we are not primarily hearing creatures. I mean, we hear, but that's not our main sensory organ. If you can imagine, if you were sitting here and you did not have your sense of smell, really, it was, wasn't really developed, or your eyes died. You were a blind person. If you're a blind person and you're sitting here, you are so much more attuned to the noises around you, and it's so much more intense. The ocean environment is all about noise. It's all about noise. And we talk about how it affects um, the animals in that environment, whales in particular, you're talking about how do not overload their sensory organs to the point of them not being able to talk to each other, them losing sight of one another. Mothers and calves, um, uh, like being separated in their pods, being scared away from feeding ground. Um, if you can imagine sitting next to that ambulance right next to your ear, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for months on end, and then try and function. What, how We could not do it. And for them, it's even more intense than that. Um, when you're talking about stuff like uh, our third issue of ocean noise, which is um, seismic air gun testing for actual oil and gas. Well, before we go to seismic oh, okay. air gun testing, All right. before um, we go. I, I wanted to um, return to that wonderful science study where they were looking, happily looking at cortisone levels, they were um, they were getting cortisone levels in the whales by collecting the whale poop. Yeah, I was so, so glad I was not a part of that study. But they had a a, a pointing dog <laughs> that could find the poop for exactly. them. Exactly. So that all you had to do is a dip net. You don't have to handle it. I know. Work in your aquarium I know. And stuff. I and, know. And, I worked with panda poop, and I was like, I'm not doing it again. All right. Well, that's the worst thing. Whatever. I don't know how that compares to whale poop. I, I'm not going to go there. This is not the 99-year-old program. This is the... Uh, <laughs> I don't think he's in my program right now. Uh, so, so, so what was neat was that they were collecting all this data, yeah. and, and that cortisone was kind of an indicator of stress level the way it had, and they were doing it right during 9-11. Yeah. So suddenly, 
with 9-11, the shipping traffic stopped in that part of the ocean. Yeah. And so the, suddenly that shipping noise, you couldn't get a better experiment where you no. turned off the noise for, exactly. you know, a, a number of, I think it was, well, I guess it was a week or something like that. It was a number of days. And um, they noticed that the stress levels according to cortisol went down. And then when the noise came back up, so did the stress levels. Yeah. Yeah. Who right. you know? If you are a person with heart issues and you see cardiologists, your cardiologist would tell you, you do not want, or any, actually any doctor would tell you, you do not want high cortisone levels and high stressors. Mm. That's where your heart attacks come from. Um, and, and again, when you're talking about the, the noise in the ocean, uh, it, it's hard for me to describe what the equivalent would be for us yeah. as what it is for the, for the whales. And the hard thing is they're measuring fatalities of animals exactly. instead of stress and loss of fertility. And, yeah. you know, or, or death down the road a year right. or two later because you just... Premature death exactly. or something because exactly. the animals are more stressed. Exactly. Um, and then there's a whole conversation, which I'm just going to throw out the language right now, cumulative noise impact, which is just like we tend to look at noise as either shipping noise or Navy sonar or oil and gas development and not looking at them as a whole problem together, that they, oh, these noises overlap. They're happening at the exact same time. Each on its own is, is detrimental, but adding them all together is even is even worse. So... Um, that's you know that that's another issue that that you, for a conversation a later conversation because uh, I could talk about that one forever. <laughs> right. So you were going to talk about the uh, seismic. Yes, I was going to talk about seismic just because um, that is one right now. This issue is front and center uh, for the U.S. government. The um, Obama administration is considering opening up the Atlantic Seaboard. Uh, eastern seaboard in the U.S. and Atlantic to um, offshore oil and gas development for the first time. Uh, it was in the Reagan administration that they put the kibosh on that. And um, when you get oil and gas development, you know, a lot of, a lot of people are really worried about possible oil spills and such. But um, as uh, what, what I'm really concerned about is actually the... <laughs> we're laughing at the muffler noise in the background. Um, what I, I'm uh, particularly concerned about is the seismic air gun testing that happens before the drilling is actually done. And what, what that means is that they're using uh, seismic air guns, and it's a, a very complicated array, and, and I, am, I am not a technician, so I should not tell you exactly how it works. Um, but what they do is it, it, it blasts down down in the ocean floor to measure if there's oil and gas underneath uh, uh, the sea floor. And uh, it's incredibly, incredibly loud sound. And uh, it happens when they're doing this testing. Uh, they do it and they, they go back and forth over these grids on top of the water and, and the... Uh, and, and the air gun forces are being shot down on the floor, and there's many of them, and, and it is happening constantly. It's happening constantly. And the pulses have to go through miles or a lot of rocks. They have to go through lots of rocks, yeah. so they're very, very intense. Very intense. I know this is kind of comparing apples to oranges, but one of uh, there have been people who said kind of compare it to a jet engine blast happening. Not exactly yeah. the same thing, but the properties are different and stuff, but, but just trying to give humans an idea of what the equivalent could be as a, as a jet engine blast. 
and it's happening every 10 seconds, all day long, all week long, all month long, for, for, for an extended basically an extended period of time. Well, that was an eye-opener for me, because I thought that it was about um, exploring for the oil and finding out where the oil and gas were. But it's really the way of measuring how much remains in the ground exactly. once they start pulling it out. So it's like a, a sonic dipstick that you're putting <laughs> down there. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes when you use that dipstick, you put it in and you get nothing back. But you have done this very damaging practice. Your dipstick is really intense. Um, and so you might not even find anything. And to have that happen, to go all through all those, that very stressful sound, um, uh, I mean, to have that happen to the whales yeah, and then, yeah, and to not even get anything from it is even. I, I don't know if that's more tragic or less tragic. If there's nothing there, they won't drill. Well, you want to reduce good, it. So, are there ways to reduce that? There are ways to reduce it. Again, just like with the navy and their sonar, you can do primary closures. You know, put uh, set aside areas that there are no whales at particular times of the year or or at all. They're just very critical habitats. Don't even test there at all. Um, you can use, there's new technologies. There's uh, something called vibrocide. And it is supposed to be, it's, again, it's still in the development phase, but they're testing it now and everything. And it gives us, the modeling numbers that come back from that are just, they're wonderful. They're wonderful because it shows such a reduction in the amount of source noise uh, compared to seismic air gun testing. And I'm going to tell you a fun fact. The man, I don't remember his name, who actually developed the seismic air gun technology back in, I want to say, 50s or 60s, if you talk to him today, he is flabbergasted that they are still using this, this technology. He, he cannot believe that this is still being used today. It's such a primal and, and, and just really destructive technology. And I, I wouldn't say he's embarrassed about it, but he's like, come on, people, I, they're... There's got to be a better way to do this that, that measures it better, that's not as invasive to the marine environment, and, and, and there are things out there. Oh, and good. So there's hope. There, there is hope. The problem here is not just the whales, but it's also, you know, fish. Oh, yeah. They have swim bladders where the, it's a different density because it's got air in it, and their meat and muscle are similar to the water density, but their swim bladders get destroyed by this kind of sonic stress or whatever you call it, yeah, yeah. seismic thing. So now I like to eat fish, and so I want to be able to <laughs> not worry about extinguishing a species, but if it's already reduced because of sonic seismic testing, yeah, yeah. then, then we got a problem here. It's a, it's a great common thread between the uh, conservation community and the fisheries. Uh, neither one of us want to see this happen to fish right. at all. I mean, and it could have a severe impact on the fisheries along uh, the Atlantic coast here in the U.S., uh, it, it is very bad for fisheries as well. Oh, my gosh. Um, I'm talking with Margaret Cooney. Oh, Margaret, how can people get in touch with you? Oh, oh okay. Well, you can. <laughs> um, the best way you can learn a little bit more about the work that we're doing is to go to ifh.org. Uh, there on our, our homepage, you can see we'll have a link. We, we're doing, I does a lot of wonderful work. We work with wildlife trade, uh, animal rescues. We're, uh, we have a large team in Nepal right now helping reunite families with their animals that were affected by the earthquake, helping to get livestock back to its owners, helping to feed and, and house these animals until we can get them back to the people who miss them deeply. Um, and, and, and we have many other programs. Of course, I, I work with 
Um, but What's the website again? ISAW.org. And uh, oh, we're doing That's some incredible so work. Yeah. I, I love this organization. It's, um, it's been a lot of fun to, to try and make an impact uh, through them. They're, they're a good group. They're a very good group. Well, I was impressed this when we were walking the hill. <laughs> My feet are still sore. Well, afterwards, Ryan and I went down to um, Johnny and the Half by the Half Shell, which is a seafood restaurant fronting the Capitol building out near the Union Station. And we walk in, and there's the big shock of white hair belonging to Tom <laughs> O'Neill, you know, Tip O'Neill's son. And um, being from Boston, I, I walked over to Tom and... and uh, he turned to me and I said how we were walking the hill talking about ocean conservation. And he said, well, I'm on the board of the International Fund for Animal Welfare, and what are they doing up there? <laughs> I could say that, oh, yeah, we're there, and we're talking, you know, Margaret was there talking about seismic testing and the noise problem, and uh, it's, it's fabulous work you're doing. I okay. forgot all about your leadership in the whole uh, right whale issues in Boston Harbor and, and Cape Cod Bay. It's yeah, for here in America, that was probably our, our biggest impact. And we have 17 country offices, I thought, us, all around the world. And we we have offices in Japan, and we have work we're doing in Iceland to help um, combat the commercial whaling that's still being done yeah. there. And uh, we work in Australia also on the ocean noise issue. Uh, we work in Russia on belugas and gray whales in Stockholm Bay and trying to reduce hmm. the impact of the development, offshore development there by the Russians. Where is that bay? Um, Stockholm Bay. Yes. And um, it's on the uh, east coast of Russia. And, um, okay, it's, so it's on the east coast near Alaska. Near Alaska, exactly. Compared to Moscow. <laughs> Compared yeah. to Moscow, yes, yes. Yeah. But our EU counterparts are up at the Hague. They're trying to keep, they're trying to get the, um, the EU on board with a lot of these really important issues and, uh, like shipping and ocean noise and commercial whaling. Uh, it's just, it, it's, we're doing some really good work and, and I hope, uh, people, people can help out. That's fabulous. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll talk about going up on the hill and, and uh, plugging our, our ocean conservation mission and, and vision to uh, senators and congressmen from the Northeast. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI 
partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI Actions and Events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI Eco Steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Welcome. We're talking with Margaret Tony from the International Fund for Animal Welfare. And uh, Margaret and I had, we're down here in Washington, D.C., outside of the National Geographic building uh, with lots of traffic around us. And uh, so we've had, we're sort of experiencing what whales do with the ship traffic going by, you know, trying to have a conversation with. uh, It's very difficult. (laughs) It's difficult, yeah. Um, I'm sure the engineers will see it all out and we'll sound we're in a sound room or something. But um, so the Blue Visions um, Summit is uh, held, being held right now, and over 300 people have come together in the Carnegie uh, building here, and we spent a day or day and a half uh, talking about legislation and uh, how we can make a difference, how to work with our politicians, and that about 100, oh, 160 160 meetings with congressmen and senators was held. Um, and we started off at 8 in the morning, gathering in one, all gathering in one room to hear uh, Senator Brian Schatz from Hawaii inspire us, the representative from uh, Arizona, who is a, a minority uh, head of the uh, Resources Committee, Natural Resources. Um, and uh, Jared Huff. Huffman, Huffman from uh, California also inspired us, and then we set out walking the hill, walking the house buildings first. We were smart to stay on the house side in the morning, and uh, our first meeting was with Representative Catherine Clark, who, I live in Somerville, but my um, representative is Mike Capuano, and Catherine Clark is overlaps in Somerville and then goes to the north of there and east of there. Um, but, yeah, and my, my son Ryan was with us, and he lives in Malden, which is the town that John Morenci lives in, who is 
Metcalf, the person we met with. Yeah. So I, I knew John that ahead was, of time. So I met there great. before. Yeah. John was great. So I go, John, where do you live? You know, <laughs> are you still in Malden? And he goes, Yeah, I'm in Malden. And Ryan goes, I live in Malden too. And Ryan said that John immediately started talking with a Malden accent. <laughs> and and that John, you know, called Ryan on his accent that it wasn't local enough and that John lived on the wrong on the, the poor side of the tracks and where Ryan is. And and Ryan's only living there because uh uh, I couldn't, I'm living in Somerville because it's cheaper than Cambridge, and Brian's living in Malden because it's cheaper than Somerville. So a lot of these hill visits are about making relationships with the uh, legislative aides in particular because the better we can make them sound and the more together they are on the issues, the easier it is for their bosses to come along and help with the issues. Uh, Catherine Clark is a hero uh, because she and others have put together a bill in education on climate change. And so Jim Elder was with us from the Campaign for Environmental Literacy, and he could pace every single legislative day we met with um, through the paces of how to get this bill through the House. And the whole idea is to get... Um, uh, education bill on climate change passed so that in the future, if there was a national endowment for the oceans or national science foundation money or NOAA money for uh, climate change education, that a portion, a piece of that pie could go to um, education and not just into the science and other things that need to be done for climate change. Um, we we met with a number of, well, we met with 16 senators and congressmen, and for all of them, we had um, five messages, I guess. The Blue Visions Conference had given us folders to talk about the need for uh, no drilling in the uh, offshore oil and gas drilling. That's enough. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to go into details. Okay. There's okay. no, you know, we all get it. We don't want offshore oil and gas drilling in... Um, in the Atlantic Ocean, or, or the Arctic Ocean, or, or off Alaska. Yeah, exactly. But the bill was Alaska and the Atlantic Ocean. Um, and the other bill was to um, stop illegal, the importation of illegally caught fish. Uh, one out of five fish that are imported, or seafood that's imported into America, is illegally caught. So if this bill would give the Coast Guard and the other gatekeepers tools, to prevent those illegally fished uh, seafood from coming in. And that, has, we think, would help the local fishermen have a bigger market share of seafood consumption. So those are those two bills. And we pretty much just said, here's the papers on them. You know, you're on, and they were all on board with that. Yeah. Uh, and then what was very dear to me was... Um, the work of the National Ocean Policy and the coming together in the Northeast around ocean planning. So there's been a lot of pushback to uh, not fund National Ocean Policy. And so they've been putting them into riders and other bills that would strip out the ability for us to operate in National Ocean Policy. And, fortunate, and 12 times it did last year, uh, and 12 times it was stopped, a number of times it's happened already this year, so we were alerting um, a little siren going by here. <laughs> dealing, we're talking about ocean noise pollution. 
whales have to put up with. The testicles are a little larger for them underwater. Um, the good news is that uh, there was a meeting of the regional Northeast Regional Planning Body at a stakeholders forum in Salem, Massachusetts, two days ago, and there they announced that there will be a a plan. We're going to have a planning document produced uh, in January 2016, so in, in about, what is that, seven months or something, uh, which is huge. It's going to be three years of coming together, and that will be a document that will show that we're all about planning. We're not making decisions for anyone. We're not some crowbar that's going to move an agency. Instead, the whole purpose of the National Ocean Policy is to get the silos of government, and there are 27 agencies that touch on ocean management, uh, to communicate with also the silos of state governments, and there are 10 state government representatives involved in the Northeast program, as well as 77, seven zero, I mean, seven federally recognized tribes, uh, as well as some non-federally recognized tribes that are participating in this, in this process. So it's very exciting to see that's going to come together and be proof that we can work together. Uh, a high point for me was, oh my gosh, we've got no time. <laughs> a high point was me was to see at Daniel Hall the Navy stand up with the Coast Guard, stand up with Interior, stand up with NOAA, and say we're all going to work together. Uh, but one of the, the high points of us going around on the meetings uh, help me out here. What was your high point? My high point. So I basically got to talk uh, exactly what I've been talking to everybody about here uh, about ocean noise. So all these fabulous um, delegates from Massachusetts. Uh, uh, we had White House from Rhode Island, Rhode Island uh, yes. Maine, uh, New Hampshire, and Vermont. And um, when we got over to the Senate side and we were talking to the chief of staff for uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren. She came by to say hi, and I have to say I'm a very big fan of hers, and I uh, did get a picture, her arm around mine, and um, yeah, that, that will, I didn't want to wash my jacket. It was, it was pretty special, um, and that she was so excited about ocean conservation and what all of us were working on. We, we went around to these visits with a wonderful group of people. Uh, Conservation Law Foundation was there. And uh, Jim yes. from the um, Coalition for Environmental Campaign Literacy. Campaign for Environmental Literacy. Campaign for Environmental Literacy. But um, they call out the Conservation Law oh, Foundation. Yes, they were. Jennifer Felt was there speaking eloquently about our efforts. Yeah, and, and then there was Hello Oceans was there, um, which is a new media um, campaign. And, and it was it was a great group. Man Hansen. Man Hansen, who I Door. I mean, Maine, yes. And and also patient research. The patient research. IFAW has worked with Nan in the past, and she has one of my favorite jobs of all time, which is uh, she gets to go swim with whales in the Cook Islands. Oh, most Cook of Islands, years. right? <laughs> and I, yeah, I think a lot of people would want to do and would love to do what Nan is doing, which fabulous individual. It was really fun to have her there um, for some of the visits. We were walking down the hallway, and there was Senator... And there was Senator Bernie Sanders! <laughs> and Rob Tackleton said, can we have a picture? And he was obliging. It was it was great. Um, but uh, one of the fun things for me is that uh, the IFAW, along with our, um, our esteemed colleagues at the Natural Resources Defense Council, NRDC, we have been re working really, really hard to bring the issue of ocean noise to the forefront, and we're just starting to get 
our feet under us and starting to get some headway and get some steam going. And we've been working it with industry, with the administ- Obama administration, and they've been wonderful. And now we're starting to, to work with our um, political leaders. And the wonderful thing about yesterday is how much each and every one of those offices was interested in our issues. And for me, in the, in- the issue of ocean noise, and excited about working on it. And that was very, very familiar. Patrick Lay stepped in from Vermont. Patrick Lay stepped in from Vermont <laughs> to make sure that his staffer was treating us well. And, of course, she was treating us beautifully, so it was really cute. Um, and then in Senator Markey's office, Anna yes. Rune Cohen, his, um, his environmental staffer there, she's a fabulous individual. She's a Ph.D. herself, very smart woman. I sat down and talked to us about all and She gave us the intel of where things did. were going, you know, and how this is an issue and how she's working on NSF funding and how she's trying to get all the different pieces to work together. That exactly. Was, and we went the whole gambit from incredibly, we had a law professor, former law professor in uh, Sheldon's White House, uh, Julie Wilson. Yeah. Um, and then we had another woman who had only, when I was talking from Vermont, Bernie Sanders' office. Yeah, yeah. Sweet person. And I was saying, you must have been suffering from the, the river damages, the flooding in Vermont. And she had this blank face on, and she had to admit that she wasn't from Vermont, and this was her second day on the job. <laughs> <laughs> and it was 5.30 in the afternoon, so we were all punchy and stuff. But everyone was fabulous. It, and yeah. I, I, we're out of time. Okay. But, uh, um, please, you know, visit our website, uh, oceanriver.org. Uh, for more information about this conversation and for the work that we're doing as well. And, um, Margaret, what's your website again? It's ifaw.org, and uh, we'd love to have you visit our website as well. I get to the pleasure of working um, on marine issues, whales in particular, but IFA is doing a wonderful work all around the world that um, if whales isn't your cup of tea, maybe there's something else there that you'd like to, to help out with. I think they're really your cup of tea, though. <laughs> <laughs> Who is it? Remember? Everybody loves That's whales. That's a big teacup. Everybody <laughs> loves whales. <laughs> Margaret, thank you very much. Thanks, Rob. Thank you all for listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogue. Until next time, please help us have healthier oceans by taking small steps. Every little bit makes a difference. It all adds up. Thank you for listening. Thanks again for joining us this week on Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Please tune in for more with Dr. Rob Moyer next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk again then. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.